Why am I such a crabby person? Was that the one with the Jonas brother? I have a feeling we're going to have a meeting after this. Your seat, ma'am. Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that's a long way to Tipperary. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. Unlike you, I enjoy a gentleman's company. That is the most patently false thing you've ever said. <laughs> that is... Let yeah. the record show, bigoted <laughs> iTunes commenters, that Tom is not gay and, in fact, eschews the company of gentlemen whenever possible. Generally speaking, yeah. yes. I find them boorish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you. That was a very good... Uh, Kitty Hawkins, though. Thank you. That she did there. Yeah. I was, that was, uh. I didn't practice or anything, just busted it out. <sighs> wow. You, uh, you're an impressive dude, <laughs> Thank you. Well done. Thanks. Welcome back, cousins. Yeah. It is time for yet another exciting installment of our Mr. Selfridge recaps. Yes. This is, uh, episode six, so we're over halfway to the end. That's right. And things are getting interesting, so mm-hmm. we'll see how this turns out. Indeed. But in the meantime, we do, for the first time in a while, have a new country to Hooray! report. Uh, we have added Antigua and Barbuda, which is one country, to our uh, list of international followers. Fantastic. Yes. You know, we suspect it was probably a... Vacationing uh, a person. A vacationing person. But maybe not. Maybe not. We don't know. And, uh, you know, if it was you, tell us, were you on Antigua or Barbuda? <laughs> <laughs> inquiring minds want... Well, inquiring mind. Tom cares. <laughs> right. I it was am... probably Antigua. Also, I, you know, fun fact, those are both key towns when you're playing Sid Meier's Pirates. Ah. Because they're kind of based down, kind of, you can get to the Spanish Main, but you can still get back up to your home ports up and then What is the northerly. Spanish Main? The Spanish Main is the north coast of South America. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's okay. basically, that's where all their silver mining from Peru and various other places, the silver would get hauled to ports on the Spanish main and then shipped back to Spain and, you know, raided by pirates all the way. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, now it is time for our Cousin of the Week. Uh, cousins, we put out a request that mm-hmm. somebody please, for the love of all <laughs> that is holy... <laughs> To explain to us what the deal is with English banknotes. Right. And you responded. You responded in force. <laughs> uh, so first up, we have a – it was actually a Facebook uh, post from Cousin Lynette who writes, Right. Banknotes. English banknotes circa 1914. Smaller banknotes printed in red ink on white paper are 10 bob, half sheet, half bar, or 10 shilling notes, two to the pound sterling. They were issued by the Lord's Commissioners of His Majesty's Treasury, and like all British banknotes in this period, they were blank on the back. They were worth U.S. $2. Small banknotes printed in black ink on white paper are sheets or Bradbury's or pound notes. They were issued by His Majesty's Treasury and were blank on the back. These were the highest denomination banknotes issued by the Treasury. Big banknotes printed in black ink on white paper about the size of a pocket handkerchief are Lady Godiva's fivers or five-pound notes. They were issued by the Bank of England. Even bigger banknotes were printed in black ink on white paper issued by the Bank of England. They appeared in denominations of 10 pounds, 15 pounds, 20 pounds, 50 pounds, 100 pounds, and were comparatively rare. A 10-pound note was a cockle, a 20-pound note was a score, a 100-pound note was a ton. A 10-pound note wasn't called a tenor, although they are today, because it was too easy to confuse with a tanner, which was a sixpence coin. (laughs) 
Other denominations, including 25 pounds and up to 1,000 pounds, were issued in the early 19th century and could have been accepted as legal tender at Selfridges in the 19-teens. One could still exchange them for a pound in silver at the Selfridges Accounts Office or at the Bank of England. Scottish and Irish issuing banks, then as now, printed their own paper money in whatever denomination they liked, and in the early 20th century, they exchanged with English money at par. 500 pounds is called a monkey, and I don't know why. (coughs) Well, thank you very much, Cousin Lynette, and for this, you have earned the title of Cousin of the Week. Congratulations. So, uh, a monkey to you, (laughs) my fine madam. That's right. No, that's really fascinating. No, monkey will not actually be issued. <laughs> <laughs> that's fascinating and really confusing. Yeah. Um, no, I, and listen. I feel like I need a diagram because that right. wasn't even getting into the coins. Right. You know, this like, is this just is all, notes. Like, I have never been able to figure out pre-decimalization English currency. Yeah. And all I've ever been trying to figure out is the stuff that that doesn't even get into. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, all the, like, pound and below, or possibly sometimes slightly above. Like, a sovereign? I think a sovereign was, like, a pound and two-thirds yeah. or something weird. Or maybe that was a guinea? I don't know. Just obviously. Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah. So that's fascinating. And, you know, I'm also intrigued, and again, we should do more research. <laughs> yes. But I'm... I'm intrigued to look at the difference between the Bank of England and His Majesty's Treasury. Right. Because I assume the Bank of England was under the jurisdiction of Parliament. Right. And His Majesty's Treasury was like a Scrooge McDuck vault, right? <laughs> I, I assume as much. Yeah. Surely. And so I'm just I'm just envisioning King George just swimming around in <laughs> piles of Lady Godivas, if you get my meaning. <laughs> he was a hoe. That's what I'm saying. Right. Well established. Um, yeah, well, no, I think, cause I think it's sort of like, like the Federal Reserve versus the Treasury Department. Like they're two separate things, ah, but they like work together. I didn't but, even know that. Yeah. I am staggeringly ignorant about legal tender of all kinds. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually reasonably up on a fair, like compared to the general population. Like I, you know, I read, you know, I read my Paul Krugman and whatever, and I try mm-hmm. to keep up on it, but the actual like governmental structure, I don't really understand. Yeah. Anyway, we actually have two uh, runners-up oh, for Cousin of the Week this week. Uh, we've never really done this before, <laughs> yeah. but we had two people chime in uh, with sort of short little facts that I wanted to recognize. Uh, Cousin Charlie is the first in a Facebook comment, wrote, As best as I can tell, the notes that Harry et al. are using are called white notes. White notes were used until 1928, although in 1914 there was an act passed which allowed His Majesty's Royal Treasury to issue one pound and ten shilling notes featuring King george the fifth so just fyi there's a fun little bit of trivia about the notes that cousin lynette told us about Mm -hmm. and then cousin sarah wrote in to say the terms for the germans during world war one were the hun the bosch or fritz and then during world war two the most common ones were jerry kraut fritz and henny uh, and for more info, you can check out the Wikipedia article, List of Terms Used for Germans. <laughs> Which sounds fun. It does sound fun. <laughs> One of the least racist ones of those lists, I would think. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I just don't ever get offended because I have German heritage or because I'm kind of like, well, Germans, you know, that whole <laughs> Hitler thing. Like, right, right. Yeah, yeah, you got it coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah. you know, kraut, like that's supposed to be like offensive somehow, but. Yeah. Well, then maybe you shouldn't eat sour cabbage, damn it. Ugh. Ugh. Why? Yeah. Why would yeah. you do that? Uh, and Bosch, I think, I mean, 
I've always sort of assumed it's related. Like that's basically the German word for like woods or forest. So I guess that's where it comes from. B-O-C-H-E. I guess they spell it B-O-S-C-H. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Well, when I read that, I remembered that that's what they call it uh, in Blackadder Goes Forth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What's his name? It's not Percy. He's Percy in. Right. Right. Uh, Darling. No. Yeah. It yeah? is Dar- Dar- Darling. Yeah. It yeah. is Darling. Uh, oh, God. Anyway. Yeah. So that brings us. Also, congratulations, cousins Charlie and Sarah. Yes. Uh, you're almost as exciting as cousin Lynette. You get a cockle. <laughs> <laughs> cockle. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we have been chatting a little bit about what we want to do in the hiatus this year, which right. will be beginning in about three weeks. Four. Well, Four? I mean, five counting today. Okay. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay. Anyway. Uh, but not long. Not long. So we think one thing we'd like to do. We want to cover Black Adder Goes Forth. Yes. Which had been up for discussion, we think. We think so. Uh, we were just talking about how little we remember where that went but yeah yeah. uh did we do an episode we couldn't have i don't think we could have i think we would remember doing an episode (laughs) i'm not sure (laughs) well i said i think well you would have edited it well right so you would remember yeah uh yeah anyway here's an extra special glimpse behind the curtain at up yours downstairs maybe we did i kind of feel like i remember downloading the theme song for it um, I think we did. Hang on. We're going to do this in real time. <laughs> oh, this is great. Just edit out the part where it's boring and I'm like actually looking it up. <laughs> okay, great. No. Okay. No, we didn't. <laughs> great. We thought we did, I guess. Yeah. No, I can't unless remember. we did it, we would have had to do it before season four. Yeah, we didn't do it before season three. Yeah, because here's Parade's End, and then uh, Doctor Who, and then right into Downton Abbey. Yeah, so, no, okay. all right. <laughs> Great. So, we all have this to look forward to, cousins. <laughs> uh, but the other thing we thought we might do this time around, for a period of indeterminate time, depending on what we come up with, right. but we thought it might be fun to do a little Up Yours Downstairs Empire exhibition of our own, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and cover some things you know, from around the British Empire uh during this time period which just to refresh everyone's memory because once again people are getting getting it twisted about what this podcast is all about right uh so anything from the edwardian period uh which officially began in 1901 right correct yes that's when queen victoria died or was it 1903 uh 1901 1902 1903 something like that the early 1900s 1921 roughly right so through whenever the last episode of downton abbey air you know was yeah set. we will we will press forward in time right along with downton abbey but never never ever will we go backward <laughs> that is not our jam it's not our jam uh anyway well for one thing the victorian era sucked and i don't want to talk about it so. <laughs> i don't know i think it's more interesting that you're willing to give it credit for i mean it may be but i don't care well <laughs> This is a uh, 50-50 podcast, and if one person's really that against it, I don't think we're going to go there. That's right. I mean, we already just said we're not going to. (laughs) Right, so. uh, Anyway, so if you know of a thing that is set during that period of time, uh, and we've already, you know, we've got plenty of suggestions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, gosh, what's that one everybody always wants us to do? The Foresight Saga. Yeah. Which I think is... 
Well, that's the one it's set it over like, like 150 really, yeah. years. So we'll see about that. Uh, we know about up yours. No. <laughs> we know about upstairs, downstairs. Right. Uh, both the old one and the new one. Right. So everybody calm down. <laughs> and then the thing that kind of inspired this is that we really do want to do... I feel like we'd have to break it into two episodes, but to talk mm-hmm. about uh, The Secret Garden. Right. Talk about the book, the musical, and both movies. Right. Possibly all three movies. Yeah. It's not clear to us how many movies there have been. Right. But I'd also really like to throw in a little princess in there as well. Um, I'm sure you would. Particularly the new one. The Shirley Temple one is bullshit. No, we're not getting Shirley Temple up in here. No. One Although, thing- you know, I really like Shirley Temple Black. I read her biography when I was like 10. Okay. That's, and that's, she's a fascinating person. That's and fine. And she worked very hard. I, I, May she rest in peace. That's great. Anyway, um, yeah, we're not doing that because there's probably some unnecessary blackface right. in that movie One that like think. is not even set in America. Right. So uh, um, what I would say is I would also be interesting maybe to try and work in a movie made in the time period. Oh, that would be really cool. Yeah. Maybe with that Valentino. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll we'll consider that as well. Yeah. Um, uh, but- so and, it, and, and on that front, if there's anybody that's like into movies of that time period and would say, oh, this is a good one, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever, we'd, we'd be interested that to hear that. That would be that. cool. Yeah. So uh, if you want to give us a suggestion or contact us otherwise, you can email us at upyoursdownstairs at gmail.com. Send us a carrier pigeon at five, the number five, <laughs> Maggie Smiths, at five Maggie Smiths on Twitter. Or you can find us on Facebook, Up Yours Downstairs, and send us a message, leave a comment, uh, or share a link. Whatever floats your boat. Yeah. And, you know, if you work for the government, I assume you can just come find us. So Yeah, that so too. that too. <laughs> uh, anyway, I think that's all of the housekeeping for this episode. All right. So let's, uh, let's go back to jolly old England <laughs> with Mr. Selfridge and friends. Let's do it. Uh, so we start seeing uh, hands picking up toys and books. I noticed the book Heidi was one of them. That's interesting to me because isn't that, isn't that book set in Switzerland? I, it is. Um, maybe but the maybe, author was German. The author may have been German. I don't know. I just caught a glimpse of the word Heidi mm-hmm. and, you know, a girl running up an Alp. <laughs> which is far – That's I believe that happens in that book, but that's all I remember. Yeah. All really I remember about it is that there's a scene in the Heidi Chronicles – by yeah. Wendy Wasserstein, where they talk about it, and part one is like Heidi learns things, and then part two is Heidi uses what she learns. Ah, yeah. All right, no, because I remember my mom kind of you know pushed me to read it. She said she liked it, and I was like, all right. And it was just like I was just turning the pages, and nothing was. Going I into read my it, mind. and I liked it okay, but it obviously didn't stick with me. Well, so, cousins, anyway. <laughs> have you read Heidi? Do you like it? Do you remember what happens? This has been the ill-informed book review section of our podcast. <laughs> we might have read it. We're not sure. It's like the ill-informed, did we do a blackout or podcast? Right. Just generally ill-informed. Yeah, we're just not really, uh, we can't, we, we can't be bothered. We can't. Frankly. Uh, we see Crab taking the elevator down with all the books and toys, and fake Doris watches, says that it's a shame. Martel says that anti-German feeling is running high, as we all know, uh, and also occasional random anti-Italian feeling, because they well, forgot to cast any German heritage characters. See, now that would have been a hell of a lot more interesting. It would have been. As someone of German heritage, I really would have enjoyed that. Well. I mean, particularly if it was somebody like Fat Thomas. Right. And Igor. Yeah. Who are essentially 
right. British. Like, I mean, they are one of the, they are not one in of, any way tied to Italy. Right. One of the few historical contexts in which people of German descent were legitimately maltreated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, again, otherwise, <laughs> sure. they had it coming. <laughs> they had it coming. Yeah. Uh, New Gordon is tagging along with fake Doris, says that he thought that she was just too old for dolls, and she says that she is thinking of her younger sister, Ruth. Uh, we'll see more of this later in the episode, but New Gordon seems to have inherited his father's, uh, knack with the ladies. Indeed. I feel. Yeah, he's... Uh, and you know, he's still young and pure, right. so it's not horrible to watch. <laughs> he's also not married. Right. So yeah. he's just being a normal person. Yeah. Kitty tells uh, the girl with the hair. Right. Uh, J- Jane? Julie? J- uh, Jamie? Uh, Jeffy? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, every episode I forget her name. Uh, I'd, I really don't remember. Yeah, pretty sure it's a J word. Uh, so we should just make up a nickname for her then so we don't have to remember it. Right. Can we call her Conehead? <laughs> Seems a bit much, but it's memorable. Yeah. Anyway, Conehead. Uh, Kitty is telling her something about uh, pushing a certain product that's popular. And then uh, Igor casually waits. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'll just look through this perfume for a moment. Yeah, because that makes sense. Right. So he then comes up to Conehead and asks her to go to Greenwich for the weekend. And she says that she can't, and her father says that she can't go out with foreign boys. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, unless her father is descended from druids, then you know what? He's foreign too, isn't he? Listen, Tom. <laughs> I think if we've learned anything from our long, long slog through various things set in this time period, <laughs> it's that people, and even today, oh sure, uh, their definition of foreign is as fluid as their own prejudices. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Leclerc holds the front door of Selfridges open for a, a rather unimpressed Agnes. Uh, meanwhile, Keebler gazes at them from across the street while sipping a cup of delicious fudge. You know, if he... P- <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> If he put half as much energy into doing his job correctly as he does into trying to destroy Monsieur Leclerc, right. I think a lot of his problems would disappear. It's very possible. At Selfridge House, uh, Harry is bombastically telling Mustache that the Americans shouldn't be trading with both sides. Nailing it. Right. Uh, Rose comes in and then Mustache heads out. Yeah. Uh, presumably that's gotta be awkward since, you know, he is the one who did that play. And Harry seems a lot more willing to forgive and forget when there is a business. Right. A business. I mean, I, yeah. I'm sure she understands, but I've, I've got to feel like relations are strained. Right. Between the two of them. Yeah. Uh, well, and I kind of feel like too, just the fact that he wasn't like on stage or whatever, like it kind of, like if, you know, God, if it was Ellen Love or whatever, that would be. Oh, you know, she would just, oof, she'd yeah. melt her with her bitch gaze. Right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Rose informs Harry that a, yet another American family is heading back to America. Yeah. And I mean, you kind of can't blame them. Right. Because. Like, if one country's at war and another country is not at war, like, try to be in the one that's not at war. Yeah. And I mean, you know, in World War One, Britain never got, you know, bombed. Well, they did a bit. There oh, were, did they? Well, that's why they're having the blackouts, because there were Zeppelin raids. 
There were. It happened. That's like a joke well, of a military tactic. It's not a joke when your family dies. Well, no, but I mean from a <laughs> tactician's point of view, Jesus. Yeah, but it was uh, just basically. Yeah, so we got these zeppelins, yeah, and we we send them. We put them in the sky, and then they go to England, and we drop them. All oh, the bombs they <laughs> explode. Kapow! That's that's pretty much standard. And then we all have strudel. <laughs> well, except for the strudel. That's all pretty standard military doctrine. <laughs> anyway. Just get bombs to explode, you know, by the people here again. All right. Well, I'm sorry if your family died in a Zeppelin attack. <laughs> Look, Zeppelins are funny. There's no denying it. <laughs> Listen, I'm really sorry for your loss, but man, those Zeppelins. <laughs> they were the Charlie Chaplins of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> yes uh harry arrives at the store he greets uh the tea emporium team says that you know everything's looking great they're doing a great job and fake doris says that new gordon it's easy to forget who he is he usually seems normal and he's like oh i am normal and she's <laughs> like uh dude your you know last name is selfridge you can't be normal no, and I really liked this because I think before this scene happened, I said the exact you, same thing. You did, yeah. But I mean, I you know, I think it's a credit to New Gordon, yeah, that he more or less can assimilate. I mean, you know, obviously he needs to get his his selfridge privilege checked, right? And just be like, oh yeah, this is kind of weird, yeah. Um, but, but I mean, he's to- he's very. You never hear him complaining. You know, he he didn't want to do tea, but only because it was for girls. Right, but once he was assigned to, he doesn't. You know, once he's been told mm-hmm. he has to do it, he does it. Yeah, you know, he, with very little complaints. Right, exactly. Upstairs, Harry is greeting uh, various people, and Plunkett says the heads of department are waiting for him. So he goes into his office for the heads of department meetings, which are quickly becoming some of my favorite things in this series yeah tells him you know they've been removing all german goods from their shelves and compliments kitty who then uh characteristically takes the opportunity to talk herself up yeah uh, and enjoyable reaction shots from other heads of department. but you know what she's not wrong yeah, i mean yeah. and it's well and i believe doesn't she say that it's that uh face facial cream yardley's Possibly, I it's don't. It's either in this scene or the previous, but I mean, the one that she got mustache to buy her, mm-hmm. and I mean, she's been pushing it like the whole season, right? Right. Which, again, I love. Yeah, I really love new product launches. Okay, <laughs> um, cousins, are you a marketing executive? Can I come live with you for a week? If so, please write. Anyway, Crab says that they are still looking for a headliner. For their patriotic event that they're hosting. Right. It's a concert. So everybody leaves and then uh, Mr. Selfridge has Martel stay back and he asks, you know, how Gordon is is handling the tea room. She says, you know, he's doing very well. So he says, okay, it's time for fake Doris to go back to accessories. And uh, – like, you know, sir, she has a name. <laughs> Not to me. <laughs> Nailing it. <laughs> so uh, he also takes this moment – this is ah the show's yeah. so good you guys. Yeah. The show's so freaking good. Yeah. For everybody who started out lower upper lower middle class yeah. to watch this show is it's just it's a wet dream. It's amazing. <laughs> anyway. Um 
He tells Miss Martle that he knows that she is now a woman of independent means, which I really like as a thing. I think we should bring that back. Yeah. Like, you know, instead of, uh, you know, independent woman from Charlie's Angels, you know? Right. right. Somehow, Beyonce needs to write a song about women of independent means, yep. which is going to be hard. Right. That's a lot it's a of long, syllables. Yeah, it's yeah. tough, but she can do it. She, I mean, it, if Lord. anybody can do it. Yeah. Get Jay on that. <laughs> anyway, uh... So he says he knows that she is now loaded, but he tells her and, you know, she's like, oh, you know, it's not going to affect my work and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. yeah, I know. Like you would have quit by now. Right. Uh, but he says that she should enjoy her newfound wealth and not feel guilty about it. Yeah. Which is a really nice thing for him to do yeah. because she, she says, has been. She says your brother left it to you because he wanted you to have it. Yeah. Yeah. And no, it's it really... fantastic. Yeah. T. Martle. Yeah. No. And just because, you know, Harry... He understands. Yeah, he's transition. gone through. Yeah, and yeah. he's just ah. Yeah, that was really nice. He's a terrible person, but he's not. <laughs> right. He's a contradiction. As are we all. Uh, at Loxley House, May is looking in the mirror, and her face falls as Lord Loxley walks in and drops a cufflink on her dresser that he apparently found left by some gentleman caller. Uh, he says that nobody lays with his wife but him and goes on about how they're a respectable couple now and are about town and have an image, etc. He also has obtained the key to her bedroom door, which he grabs at, but he pulls away and says that it is his right by, it is a man's right by law to enter his wife's room and then horrifically kisses her cheek and leaves. This is our rough one, Lady yeah. Maywise, guys. I mean, I know you already watched it, but if you haven't, like, strap in, cause, yeah. and again, eyeliner, nailing it. Yeah, yeah. At no point do the indignities Lady May is suffering at the hands of Lord Loxley ever somehow become about Harry. Or right. Pimble. Or, <laughs> or, you know, some random right. person. Or, you know, it's not suddenly about, like, Lord Loxley being, you know, troubled. Right. <laughs> you know, but I mean, it's just, you know, and he, but I mean, and that's the thing. It's, it's terrible because he's right. Yeah. She has no recourse under the law. Right. To stop him from raping her. Right. And it's awful. Yeah. And it's again horrible to watch this character yeah. that we have grown to love and think of as this badass right. who is un- you know unflappable. Yeah. And to watch her get flapped. Yeah. It's not good. It's not good at all. Back at Selfridges, Bill's summertime, 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 <laughs> some, some, summertime, blows by Plunkett with the self-assurance his crap game provides. <laughs> He tells Harry that he works for his majesty, and Harry asks if he has something to do with Edgerton, but nope, he's in intelligence. Uh, Summertime, 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 (laughs) some, some, summertime. He wants Harry to go to Germany, and Harry is very concerned about his reputation because he's like, "Uh, I just got rid of everything German. (laughs) Everything that was German is gone. Right. But Summertime says that they can keep it quiet if he goes. They are in intelligence, after all. Uh, But Harry's very hesitant to commit to such a huge risk on a variety of levels. Right, yeah. Mustache hurries into Selfridges and and shows Kitty his new article that has been published. She is pleased. 
and compliments him. And he's like, oh, when a lady compliments me, what does she want? And she says she wants dinner. So he's like, great, we'll have dinner. I do enjoy how economical they are in their relationship. Yeah, yeah. They're both very much keeping score. <laughs> him only so he knows what she knows. Right, right. So he gets on the elevator, and Martle tells Kitty that the two of them seem close and have been seeing each other. And she, Kitty's like, yeah. And Martle's like, oh, well, you know, Mustache has quite a reputation. And Kitty says that she can look after herself, and unlike you, well, I'm, I'm not going to try it again. And unlike you, I enjoy a gentleman's company. I was like, boom! Damn! If this was a rap battle, the crowd would be losing their minds. No, and it's interesting because Kitty seems to be hinting that Miss Martle uh, is, in fact, a lesbian. It kind of seems that way. And I'm like, girl, she has had more sex than you'll ever have. Right. Let's not think about with whom. Let's not. But, I mean, well, that's when you keep your sex life a total secret for, you know, however many years, people may get the wrong impression. That is true. Descending past Harry's bust, <laughs> Crab and Mrs. Crab, who we think is played by a different actress. We think so. We haven't gone back and checked, but she did yeah, not again, seem... woefully misinformed. <laughs> right. Uh, but she, I thought she was heavier set. I thought so in the too, first series, but, but whatever. Anyway, Mrs. Crab is discussing how many sheets they need. Mrs. Crab's opinion: they need a lot of sheets. <laughs> yeah, and also lots of soap and hairpins. Yeah, and by lots we mean like tons. She is becoming a hoarder. Yes. Uh, Leclerc shows Harry some dresses that they've made from British cloth that they found lying around their warehouse. Apparently, Harry compliments Leclerc and then was like, "Oh yeah, you too, Thackeray. Also, good job." And then Mustache pulls him away. Leclerc keeps fiddling with the dress as Keebler stares at him. <laughs> and, He's doing such a bad job! Yeah, and Leclerc's like, uh, what, dude? And Keebler says that he should stop promoting German labels, saying that he wore a Hamburg hat into the store. And Leclerc's like, uh, didn't you hear? The Hamburg is now called the Beeritz, so it's totally fine. <laughs> um, but then... Ke- Freedom fries! Right. Freedom hats! <laughs> But then Keebler's like, yeah, but those shoes, they were handmade in Munich. Freedom shoes! <laughs> uh, and Leclerc says yes, and he's going to keep wearing them because they're extremely comfortable. And this dress is ridiculous and needs to be cut much higher in the waist, and then he stalks out. Uh, okay. Number one. Isn't the Hamburg a, it's a style, it's, it's a, not a label. Right. So it's named after a town in Germany, Keebler. but it's, right. Like, Ugh, I hate you. Uh, second of all, Monsieur Leclerc, get your shit together, Brony. Right. Get it together. Yeah. Quit being so flappable. <laughs> yeah, really. Spoiler alert, he won't. <laughs> Harry is reading Mustache's article and says it's very good. Mustache says uh, that he wants to now write about the procurement committee. And Harry says he don't give a fuck <laughs> about the procurement committee anymore. Yeah. And he hates them and their ass faces, <laughs> Yeah, basically. And Mustache is like, oh. Well, that doesn't help me with my article that I wanted to write about them. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, that could be part of an article. Maybe oh, yeah. something. That mystery man that hangs out at Delphine's yells down the delivery stairs to her that her order has arrived. It's apparently a bunch of wine. Uh, Moselle, I think, is the German wine. But whatever the German wine is that mm-hmm. he has given them. 
Mystery Guy says that Harry is buying Delphine, but she says she doesn't mind. She's not 20 anymore, and, you know, that's that's the world sometimes. This is what I was saying to somebody at a party last night, because there's an economic imbalance in the relationship, and the woman's like, oh, I can't, like, take your money. And I'm like, look, if I've learned anything from reading biographies of, like, powerful women— it's like, first of all, don't have any pride. <laughs> and second of all, take the money. Yeah. No, actually, you can take the money. Yeah. You can <laughs> always take the money. Uh, but she says she has Harry figured out. She says that the less you ask him for, the more he gives. She also says that Rose doesn't understand him, but she does. And it is ominous and... Yeah, we're not a fan of this misuse of Polly Walker. We're not at all. We're all all about Polly Walker, like, using her feminine wiles and, like, manipulating people. Right. On Rome. Yeah. (laughs) Not on Mr. Selfridge. Right. Like... Well, and well, and like we like this character. We like the character. We liked her when she was friends with Rose. That Mm -hmm. was fun. And, like, you know... Now it's becoming this whole thing. Yeah. Delphine comes in at Selfridge's and Harry is getting measured for a British waist waistcoat. Well, I think he says waistcoat. He says waistcoat. Yeah. We say waistcoat. <laughs> yes. You say waistcoat. We say waistcoat. Ah! <laughs> That's how that song goes now. <laughs> it's really not going to be as popular. <laughs> yeah, but it's going to get sampled all the time. <laughs> Rose thanks him for the wine and says she can't accept it. Harry says she can and dismisses the tailors. Harry says summertime, 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 <laughs> some, some, summertime came by. Delphine asks if Harry knows what summertime does. Harry says he does. Delphine says that she's old friends with Big Bill summertime. Uh, and so can he, he's the real deal. Yeah. She vouches for him. And, uh, Plunkett brings them some tea. Harry says that he can't discuss what summertime came to ask him about and then you know delphine's like you don't have to really do much more to help the country you're already helping the country with the store but then harry changes the subject and asks after the club and whether he can do anything and delphine says no downstairs delphine is strutting along uh, on the main sales floor again she seems to think that she's like winning victory points for things (laughs) that are just him doing business (laughs) right it's like she just – she has no concept of, like, what's going on here. Yeah. Uh, but she encounters Rose, awkwardly enough, and she says that, oh, haven't seen you in forever. And and Delphine's like, oh, well, you never come by the club anymore. And Rose says that she has been busy at the store helping with the female staff. And Delphine's like, oh, great. Uh, I, I think I think somebody just called me. I have to go and, and leaves. And it's, it's uh, awkward. Yeah, yeah. It's very awkward. Keebler knocks on Mr. Grove's door and heads in. Uh, he says that it's a delicate matter and sits down and says that Monsieur Leclerc may not be what he seems. Mr. Grove is like, what? <laughs> Keebler says that he saw him exchanging money. With a man. Yeah. Uh, with the shady dude. Right. And he knows he's trying to locate a German person. And he believes that he's been to Germany recently. Mr. Grove is like, what the shit are you talking about, dude? I have things to do. <laughs> right. Keebler, I have this whole new filing system. But then Keebler does annoy all of us by right. being correct and pointing out all the red flags that Leclerc has been throwing up. He says that the papers say that there are spies everywhere. 
And uh, Grove says he'll look into it. But you know that's just nationalist claptrap, right? <laughs> I mean, it's not. It, yeah. That is, in fact, how spies operate. Well. Watch the Americans. Everyone. <laughs> uh, again, won't be covering it. Right. Set in 1980 America. Yeah. But watch it. Yeah. Mr. Grove uh, tells Keebler to keep his concerns to himself in the meantime because we don't want to start rumors flying. And Keebler's pretty bummed because that was literally his whole plan. Yeah. He already started the rumor mill. Right. Yeah. I would point out that, like, the fact that he was exchanging money with a man, like, maybe he was just buying the guy's couch or something. Like, you can yeah. exchange money with a man. That's There's nothing. Anyway. Yeah. He should have specified that it was a shady man. Yeah. Well, it was a very shady yeah. dude. Can't deny that. Uh, LeClaire runs into Agnes outside the front door and asks where she's off to, and she says that she's going to a variety show with Fat Thomas. And LeClaire says that she could do better. And we Ag- agree. Well, we agree, but Agnes, you know, not thrilled to hear this From naturally this enough. this guy. Yeah. Um, she says that people are saying things about Le- Monsieur LeClaire and that he's hiding something. And LeClaire's like, oh, this country has gone mad. And Agnes says, but you are hiding something, clearly, and asks why he won't talk to her. And he says, you of all people to doubt me. And Agnes says that she doesn't want to doubt him. And then Fat Thomas blunders in is like, but he does, like, as soon as he sees Monsieur Leclerc, it's always like, on you know, he turns on a dime and (laughs) becomes very glowering. Yeah. Uh, but he heads off with Agnes to the show. Like, uh, good Lord, Monsieur Leclerc. Do you think, how do you think this is advancing anything for you? And this it's attitude? so weird because turns out Agnes is like the best ex-girlfriend you could ever have. Yeah. Like even with Fat Thomas, like yeah. they had some strain, but like she was pretty chilled out yeah. about that whole scenario. Yeah. She's been pretty fine with Monsieur Leclerc. Yeah. But God, Monsieur Leclerc, <laughs> you are being a little bitch. Yeah. Like, no way around it. You can't tell her she can do better if you're not willing to pre- like present her with options. Right. Whether they're you or somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, man. Yeah. yeah. So uh, at the variety show, Fat Thomas, Agnes, Martle, and Florian are watching some Horace Spendrich type sing Let's All Go Down the Strand. Which sounds like a terrible notion. That <laughs> uh, Thomas says that Agnes looks happy and she says to him that she's been taking life too seriously and thanks him for taking her out. And then uh, the Horace Spendrich guy starts waving a flag as the audience joins in. They've all also got flags. Mm-hmm. So the song ends and the crowd goes wild. Yeah, they loved it. Oh, it was fantastic. <laughs> I'm really shipping Martle and Florian. Well, I... Cardle, Malorian. <laughs> Malorian. I like Malorian. All right. <laughs> um, that's well. I mean, good news for you thus far. Oh like, yeah. I mean, it's it's going well. Yeah. You know, they're not showing their hand, but I think. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's in the mail. Yeah. Uh, so Horace heads back to his dressing room, and Lady May is there. Uh, she says hi. She has a drink. She says she never would have believed to see him singing at music halls. And he's like, hey, you know, it's a job. And as long as he's singing, he's happy. Uh, just want to point this out because I didn't realize it until this scene. Uh, this is Alfie Bow, very famous British star of stage, possibly screen. But apparently primarily stage. But he, I know him primarily from playing Jean Valjean in the 25th anniversary uh Concert of Les Miserables. Right. Uh, my favorite musical. Mm-hmm. What are you saying? Which Was that the one with the Jonas Brother? 
Yes. <laughs> it was the one with the Jonas brother, which and honestly, ah, uh, this is because I really like the 10th anniversary mm-hmm. one a lot. Um, and like, I feel like Leia Salonga is kind of the weak link in both of them because she plays Eponine in, in the 10th anniversary and then she plays Fontaine in the 25th anniversary. The circle of life. But Samantha Barks plays Eponine and she played her in the movie mm. as well, but she plays her in the 25th anniversary one and it's phenomenal. The guy who plays Angel Ross is really great. Anyway. Uh, so, like, except for the Jonas brother, I feel like the 25th wins over the 10. Okay. Like, no disrespect to Colm Wilkinson, but Fair listen, enough. I just made, like, half of our audience really happy. <laughs> That's great. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, back in the world of fiction, May says that she has a job for Horace, uh, the charity concert that's been discussed, and he says for her, he'll do it. And uh, begins singing the song "Let Me Call You Sweetheart." I had fun. I looked up all the songs that were sung in this episode, and which was fun. In this case, I found out that the uh, the sh- original publication of the sheet music for that song, there was a woman on the cover, and it is believed that the model for that was Virginia Rapp, uh, who is famous because her death led to Fatty Arbuckle, who was a huge star of comedy at the time, being tried f- three times for her murder. Uh, essentially accused of raping her to death. And there was never, as far as I can tell, any actual evidence that he had anything to do with mm-hmm. it. Like, the, not only was he found not guilty in the third and final trial, but the jury made a statement saying, we, we don't understand why this has happened. We're so sorry for Fatty Arbuckle that he's been put through this. We ought to see if we can find a Fatty Arbuckle movie. Oh, yeah. Because his story is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Horace says that he will need better clothes for this concert. May says she can arrange it. And Horace says that she can arrange anything and that she landed her stage door Johnny and it was every girl's dream. But May says that she is beginning to think it was a mistake. He asks if Lord Loxley loves her. She says he doesn't know what love is. And she was just the in thing that season and everybody wanted her. And Lord Loxley only wanted her because everybody else did. Uh, And she married him just for his money and his power. And she thought she could keep him at bay. And she was wrong. This scene, man. This is a really good scene. Yeah. Like, I was wanting to be skeptical of Alfie Bo, but he really brought it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And Horace says that she should leave him, that he doesn't own her, and she says that he owns everything she stands up in. Horace says, oh, come on, who cares about fur coats? And May says that she does. Horace says that a good man would keep her warm and touches her chin, and that he says that she is a clever girl and deserves to be happy. Uh, and May fights back tears, and she says, coming to this stage, you know, this this dressing room has reminded her of the girl that she used to be. And Horace says, that girl wasn't so bad, and May agrees. It just be crying. Yeah. This is, like, so horrible, particularly because now in the next scene, back at Loxley House, May comes upstairs, and Lord Loxley looms menacingly out of her room in a dressing jacket asks where she's been. She says she was out. He says he's been waiting for her and he ushers her into her room uh, to violate her, yeah. presumably. One would think. Uh, at Selfridges, Martel is singing or humming to herself and Kitty says that she's in good spirits and Martel says that she went out last night with Agnes and two gentlemen. So suck on that, Kitty Hawkins. Indeed. Kitty and fake Doris give each other a look at that. 
and so Kitty heads off, and Martle caught kind of at the end of that look and comes over to fake Doris and, like, scolds her about her handkerchief folding. Says, now that she's back in accessories, she expects accessory standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she heads off. Yeah, no more of that tea room grab ass. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, however, New Gordon, all about the tea room grab ass, still strolls by. <laughs> <laughs> He's bringing tea room grab assery to accessories. <laughs> That's right. It's his first self Phrygian idea. <laughs> pa, what if we took tea room grab assery and put it in accessories? Yeah. Nailing it. <laughs> Never been prouder, you son. <laughs> yeah, actually, old Gordon had a selfridge idea. It was just ice cream, but ice cream is a pretty good idea. <laughs> it is. It's the the one truth that we lose as we grow up. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, he asks if fake Doris is glad to be back in accessories, and she says, oh, she forgot what a battle axe Martel is. Uh, she should have stayed in tea. Oh, she couldn't wait to get out of there. I know. They're just being flirty. Ugh. And uh, New Gordon... <laughs> <laughs> Why am I such a crabby person uh, who hates love? It's... Uh, and yet is such a shipper. It's... you. <sighs> Shipping is always about sex, though, not well, love. Fair enough. Uh, but New Gordon gives her a package. She says it's for her sister, and she opens it up, and it is a British doll. And New Gordon says that his sisters all love it. They haven't aged in the past five years, so they're still <laughs> all set for Beatrice dolls. uses it in all her incantations to the Dark Lord. <laughs> uh, so they British back and forth about whether she can take it, and eventually she takes it. Fake Dora says that he's a very good friend, and New Gordon walks off very pleased with himself, but I'm not sure. I feel like fake Doris kind of hit friend a little bit. I feel like sure that... you think that more than me, but perhaps because you've been a victim of the friend zone more in your life than I have. Possibly. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, it was, well, so, so but I'm not it's also, sure. She's in a very weird position here. Oh yeah. Because yeah. like what? And I mean, look, she's from like what? Like Newcastle or something? Right, she was no. She was going to be sent back to the farm or something. Remember when they yeah. were in Delphines the first time? Yeah, she's from somewhere with weird accents. Yeah, that's why I say Newcastle. But right, um, you know where they make the beer. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, but I mean, she's you know she's from an extremely lower class family. Right, like she doesn't even have middle class pretensions like Kitty Hawkins does. Mm-hmm. They aren't even pretensions. Like Kitty Hawkins just is very solidly middle class. Yeah, like yeah. she seemed like she grew up in a very well-appointed home to me no well well, anyway grove and crab are walking downstairs a lot of stairs yeah that's like their sorkin-esque touch here it's like (laughs) every conversation has to be on stairs well they're all summoned to the staircase for reasons they can't quite pin down mr crab is complaining about mrs crab's hoarding (laughs) right so this isn't really um explicated but it's clear that because of the war mrs crab is concerned that they'll need some sort of apocalyptic survival gear right uh so she's getting all of her stuff yeah miss martle says good morning and mr crab says that she's been looking younger and younger mr grove then creepily asks if she's wearing a new scent yeah if you want to keep your decades-long clandestine <laughs> affair a secret, Mr. Grove, what you don't do is notice that she's wearing a new scent. In fact, I would say, gentlemen, unless you're alone with a lady who you are absolutely certain is going to have sex with you, don't comment on how she smells. Yeah. Like, 
We want you to like how we smell, but to comment on it is creepy. Yeah. Okay. We get paid, you know, 77 cents on the dollar. We get very little, <laughs> very little. You need to step it up. Yeah. Anyway, Miss Martle says that she decided to spoil herself <laughs> with a new scent. Uh, Mr. Grove looks puzzled. Right. Well, because means- does he just not know how anything works? He doesn't seem to. Like, Miss Martle at this point just seems to like break a gear in his brain somehow like i don't i don't get it i mean he may have just like this is actually interesting if you think about it in contrast sort of with downton abbey and anna getting raped and making that all about bates Mm -hmm. because bates has a very specific image of anna Mm -hmm. in his mind and he goes through all this insanity to like preserve it. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Grove has the same thing about Miss Martle. I mean, the whole time that they were together, she was sort of this pitiable spinster figure. Mm-hmm. And he never stopped to think that there might be a different version of her story with her at the center of it and him as a minor character. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Miss Martle's always been a character in his story. Right. I right. mean, even when she asked him to come to her brother's house and like right. be like, what should I do? Right. Um you know, that still was consistent with that narrative. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as she's become independently wealthy and is really able to act on her own behalf yeah. and, and be confident mm-hmm, mm-hmm. without a man you know, he can't, he can't think of that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, yeah, it makes sense. Miss Martle asks about the charity concert and Crab says that they have found their singer and Miss Martle offers her lodger as an accompanist because her lodger is a violinist. And then Mr. Grove asks how she's settling in and Miss Martle doesn't correct him. No, she does not. She's like, if I broke your brain by buying perfume, the <laughs> fact that I am living as an unmarried woman with an unmarried man is going to cause you to spontaneously combust. <laughs> right. It's like, we need to space this out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we need to, we need to hold your hand. <laughs> In the Monsieur Leclerc Memorial Lair, in a scene... <laughs> I keep forgetting that we called it that, and it delights me every time. <laughs> yeah. In a scene that I completely missed the first time through, because it's only like five seconds, but it's just five seconds of Agnes hanging up what I assume is Monsieur Leclerc's hat and coat. And that's just it. Like, that's the whole Where scene. did she even get him? They were, like, lying on a desk or something, I guess. Huh. It's just... Just makes no sense. Boo! Yeah. Eyeliner fail. <laughs> yeah. That seems like one of those, uh, boss, the episode came in 10 seconds short. They're like, uh, we've got this. <laughs> we got this B-roll of Agnes hanging up a coat and hat. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Where's my eyeliner monkey? <laughs> <laughs> He's the max factor of monkeys. <laughs> Monsieur Leclerc then enters Mr. Grove's office, having been summoned by the Plunkett. Which I wrote in as a typo. I said the Plunkett. But then I looked at it. I was like, I like that. It hasn't felt right. Now it feels right. Yeah. The Plunkett. <laughs> like the Trunchbull. Yeah. From Matilda. Mr. Grove says that there has been some gossip about Monsieur Leclerc, and he needs some details and asks where he's been for the past five years. Uh, Monsieur Leclerc is very unhelpful. Yeah. And... 
eventually admits that he has been in Germany. Then Mr. Gross says that he has no intention of inquiring into his private life. And then Monsieur Leclerc interrupts to say that he won't tell him about it anyway. Uh, and Grove is like, I was being British about this. Right. So you really fucked this up. Yeah. But Mr. Grove says that Mr. Selfridge trusts Leclerc and that if he has anything to tell Mr. Grove that Mr. Grove should know, he should do it now. Uh, but then Monsieur Leclerc, uh, cuts that all off and says that he is quitting and he's gonna go enlist in the French army and bounces. Yeah. So, again, Leclerc totally fails to handle anything. Yeah, I, wow. Yeah. It's real, like, do you have a tumor? <laughs> why are you so different? Yeah. And why? Uh, why the cloak and dagger? Yeah. Why not just come up with a story about where you've been? That you can just sort of casually tell people and they'll accept. Like you know, what, like a spy would. Right. And also try acting vaguely normal once mm, in a while. Yeah, that How would definitely that? be helpful. That's not his plan. Uh, so down in the lair, Fat Thomas shows Agnes a letter, a bank saying that he's gotten a loan for the restaurant to get it back on its feet. Uh, and he says that so he's going to hand in his notice, which... You know, makes sense. Running a restaurant seems like a full-time job, except the palm court, but... (laughs) (laughs) Well, the palm court really runs itself. It's a lot like the ballroom in The Shining. (laughs) 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 Igor's always been there. (laughs) Oh, man. Um... But he tells Agnes, he's like, you could come in and run the restaurant with me. And she says, what? <laughs> no, it's more like, what? Yeah, I, I can't quite get the vowel sound yeah. right. But what? That was better. Yeah. But he takes her hand and gets on one knee and proposes. Uh, and he, he busts out his prepared monologue and says that she's been sad since George left and she d- can't be alone and it breaks his heart to see it and blah, 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 and this and that and this and that. And fin- Agnes finally gets him to stop talking and says yes. And I feel a strange disturbance in the force as if millions of shippers suddenly cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. Very angry about this, everybody. <laughs> I have a look of extreme distaste on my face. She does. This is a disaster. Mm-hmm. Nobody is happy. Except for these two idiots. Oh, yeah. They're, they're very happy. And they kiss in the ominous shadow of Leclerc's coat and hat. And here's really my point. Like, Monsieur Leclerc is correct. She could do better. Right. Why did she spend two fucking years in Paris to come back and marry this idiot? Yeah, and spend her, you know, life mopping up in a kitchen. Yeah. Like, like she is now a skilled and trained right. visual well, merchandiser. And I'll say this. Here's one way that I could see this going is that perhaps she is just saying yes to marrying Fat Thomas. And, I mean, you know, after all, like, you couldn't just, like, date a bunch of people or it was harder to date a bunch of people, especially if you were kind of a more conservative type like Mm -hmm. Agnes seems to be. Like, you know, she's old enough that she wants to get married. Mm -hmm. She wants to have a husband. Fat Thomas is not the worst guy in the world. You know, he's certainly more of a nice, stable guy than anybody in her growing up. Yeah, she was that's around. true. So she may be just taking him as a husband and, and just wanting that, but and have no intention of actually quitting her job to work in this restaurant. Possibly. And it may be that Fat Thomas 
is currently under the assumption that she has agreed to both when in fact she has only agreed to marry him. That's also possible. And that may be an interesting thing that happens. And honestly, look, here's my biggest problem with this ship mm-hmm. is that there is no sexual chemistry between them at all. Well, that is true. And I mean, and I think it's a narratively deliberate choice on eyeliner's part because there's a ton of sexual chemistry in the show as a whole yeah i mean it's well and that's the thing that's interesting about the delphine thing and harry is that like delphine seems to think that they have sexual chemistry right and harry's like uh i know from sexual chemistry (laughs) and uh you're not nailing it (laughs) (laughs) yeah but um uh, you know and i don't know how important that is to agnes you know like right because, you know, plenty of people get married for non-sexual chemistry having reasons. Right, right. Many of which you just pointed out. Yeah. But I I don't know. I, I don't see this working out, though. I, I really don't, don't see this working out. You know, it didn't work out before. And I, you know, there have been exceptions that I know of. But I generally feel like if you've broken up once, you're going to break up again. Yeah. But, you know, we'll see how it turns out. In Martel's house, a new housemaid, uh, who we are assuming is a new hire because otherwise she would have answered the door when Florian arrived. Right. So Martel, uh, Martel settling into her, her money, yeah. Means, yeah. Uh, so she comes in and sets down their dinner and Miss Martel tells Florian about the gig and she says that there will be suffrage ladies and he is like, what is a suffrage? <laughs> and she says, bossy ladies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, rest in peace, Marvilius. <laughs> yeah. That didn't go anywhere. But you know what? I don't think she's saying it maliciously. All Honestly, right. I think she is just trying to put it in terms that he can understand. Fair enough. That's Fair what enough. I think. Okay. okay. I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so she says uh, that they arrange shows at military camps so they might be able to get him more work as right. a violinist. Which, like, man, I want to go bored with Miss Martle. <laughs> she has the golden touch. Yeah. No, and this is where, in you know, the big split in the suffrage movement where the majority of them were, like, pitched full in with a war effort. And then there were the Pankhursts right. who were not. Right. Uh, although they do love violence. <laughs> right. Uh, they're like, this is the wrong kind! <laughs> uh, Florian thanks Miss Martle, uh, with some very sexy eye contact. <laughs> yeah. And she puts a napkin onto his, like, onto his lap! Yeah. I wouldn't let you put a napkin <laughs> on my lap. Well, I'm not Belgian. <laughs> That's a really good point. <laughs> Who knows what I'd do? Cousins, are you Belgian? Would you like to put a napkin on my lap? <laughs> if so, let's figure this out. <laughs> we got some vacation time. Uh, yeah, Agnes comes in and announces the good news. <laughs> uh, she's not supposed to tell anyone, but Martel's very excited for her, and Agnes shows her the... It's cute. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's very totally... cute. And I mean, look, yeah. if she was going to marry Monsieur Leclerc, everybody would be like, uh, what? Right. Because, I mean, at this point, yeah. that makes no sense. Yeah. I mean, clearly, Leclerc's made it very clear. Even in season behavior. one, it made no sense. Well, yeah. Like, yeah. it was just, he's not, yeah. he doesn't seem like the marrying kind with her. Right. Like, and also, like, you know, Agnes is really never going to be the types like that French lady that Leclerc was with in the first mm-hmm. series. Valerie. Like, yeah. Like, she just, just her personality and her background. Like, she could be, you know, as accomplished or whatever. Exactly. But like, he he would have to be the aggressive one 
Right. And she would have to be the passive one, but he's the passive one. Right. Like yeah. that's, you know, he's the beta. Right. And like right. they're both betas. And I don't see that working out in the long term, you yeah. know, yeah. not to overly endorse uh, subprimate dominance behaviors. Well, but, but it's, just, it's just standard in a relationship. I that's, mean, in a, yeah, like in a, two, in a two person relationship. One person generally is the strong personality and then the other person is not. Right. And that's just, I don't know, in our experience, it works very well. Yeah. And it just, I don't know, it just makes it easier. Yeah. You know, because then you have different strengths and, you know, one person can kind of pick up the slack. Right. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Lord Loxley struts down the hall at Selfridges with his cigar front and center. In Harry's office, he tells him that he's looking for felt suppliers and Selfridge asks who he's asking for because he says that some people are buying up material to sell to Germany. And Lord Loxley says, oh, some Americans. And Harry gets very bristly about it and says that, you know, just because they're Americans doesn't mean he supports what they're doing. And asks what Lord Loxley knows about them anyway. And Lord Loxley chuckles and says that Harry's a hypocrite because not long ago this shop – or <laughs> this shop was full of German goods – and Harry's like, yeah, as was every other store. Because we weren't yet at war <laughs> with Germany. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Harry says that he just doesn't trust Loxley and he can't and won't help him and pointedly looks at his watch. Loxley gets up, uh, but he says that Harry is just a tradesman and trade is a dirty business as opposed to inheriting a bunch of money and then just sort of having it. Uh, and he says that Harry's done nothing for this country, as opposed to, again, the many accomplishments of Lord Loxley. Uh, Harry seems somewhat struck by that, which is absurd. And I think that Harry's been in Britain too long yeah. if he could think that Lord Loxley has any validation for saying that. Yeah, absolutely. This right. is – uh, w- look, Harry, we have long known, is very susceptible – you know, if you find a chink in his armor, yeah, he gets real fucked up over it. Yeah, this is true. Let us not forget the car he totaled <laughs> before that was even a thing. <laughs> right. There weren't <laughs> enough cars for them to have a name for what he did to that car. <laughs> <laughs> Harry arrives at home and Fraser says that there's a guest in the courtyard. It's Big Bill Summertime. Hey. Summertime, summertime, <laughs> some, some, summertime. Uh, he then asks if Harry has decided whether he wants to go spy. Harry says that he had made such a fuss about not being used to the country's advantage more that he can't say no. Summertime gives him a list of names. Uh, he says that one of these manufacturers, it's manufacturers, right? Yeah. Uh, of being of particular interest to his colleagues right. in intelligence. And uh, he tells Harry to be ready. He might have to go at a moment's notice. Yeah. So in bed that night, apparently post-coitally, Harry tells Rose that he is thinking about going to Europe for some supplier things. She asks where. He says Paris mostly. Uh, and he then, she's like, okay. And he lies there looking troubled, as if no longer certain that he's nailing it. But he is nailing Rose. So count your your blessings. Who you think is about the next evening, Monsieur Leclerc is brooding in Selfridge House. Harry comes out in evening dress and uh, Leclerc says he has to tell Harry something. But uh, Harry says that if it's work, it can wait. Rose comes down also in evening dress. They smooch and they head out and Monsieur Leclerc is tagging along. 
Very like, sad. Uh, I'm a spy. Does that count as work or not? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you too? <laughs> this is great. What is there, like a picnic? <laughs> yes, but mine is the one with uh, the sauerkraut. <laughs> <laughs> Never touch the stuff. <laughs> Uh, in Martel's house, Florian is getting dressed, and Martel helps him with his waistcoat. Maybe is that what that thing is? Like it's it goes under your jacket and it comes way down and just has a couple buttons down here. Yeah, that's that's a waistcoat. Okay. And then if there's a thing across there, then that's a cummerbund. Okay. Um, I'm not sure what the difference between a vest and a waistcoat is, but there is a difference. Excellent. Uh, that involves Martel buttoning some very low buttons, which uh, gets her a little heated. It's probably been a while since she's been near the uh, business end of a man, so... <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so she is then rather startled when Agnes comes in, uh, but she has found some of George's cufflinks for Florian to wear. Some rich folk and Agnes gather <laughs> for the concert. <laughs> Mr. Grove asks Miss Martel where the accompanist is, and she introduces Florian and says there was a Bit of a mix-up. <laughs> Which is the most British explanation for this situation I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Grove then directs Florian to the terrace where Alfie Bow is uh, being a diva, I assume. <laughs> and Mr. Grove is shocked. Shocked that she's living with a man. But Miss Myrtle says that special times call for special measures. Mr. Grove has nothing to say in response to that. And then Igor lurches over and shows Myrtle to her seat. Your seat, ma'am. <laughs> A crab greets Harry and Rose outside the front door of Selfridges and asks Harry for a quick word. He says that there is a gentleman in his office and that the gentleman said that it was urgent. Keebler sees Fat Thomas and Agnes being happy uh, and disapproves. For whatever reason. He just he's, he, a, he's a small man and an elf. Like, I think his life is hard. Yeah. Uh, he should find an elf support group. Really, that's what I think. I've only got one more year to be kissed by a human woman. <laughs> be really hard because I'm staggeringly homosexual. <laughs> he sees Rose and Monsieur Leclerc walking together, also disapproves of that. So disapproval all over. Yes. Uh, but upstairs, we see Harry walking toward Big Bill Summertime. Summertime, summertime, sum, sum, summertime. Rose greets the Loxleys. Lord Loxley says he's looking forward to a patriotic concert hosted by Americans. Be- <laughs> because God... Can you ever not be a dick? No. They really should have beaten him up more at public school. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Rose says that she and Harry may be American, but Selfridges is a British store. And she says that Harry will be down any moment uh, and then flags down Mr. Crab and says, you know, Harry's got to take care of something. We'll have to start without him. Right. Uh, Upstairs, Big Bill Summertime. Summertime, summertime, (laughs) sum, sum, summertime. Right. I have a feeling we're going to have a meeting after this, <laughs> and I'm not going to be allowed to do that anymore. Possibly not every time. <laughs> but it's a it's a it's a shtick. I got to keep doing it. It's a light motif. <laughs> uh, he says that Harry has to leave that night to meet the guy in Berlin. They've just found out that he's arrived there and might leave soon. And Harry's like, blah, 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 but I have this concert." Uh, Summertime says just to write a note saying that there was some emergency supplier thing or whatever and that he'll be back in a few days and, you know, not to worry anybody. You know, what did you think he meant by a moment's notice? (laughs) Right. 
Uh, so Harry sits down and, and writes the note. Uh, Horace sings the Yeoman of England a as... A song from the opera Merry England. Oh, thank you. Yes. As Igor delivers the note to Rose, Monsieur Leclerc sees her react and she explains and asks Monsieur Leclerc to go track him down before he leaves. So the song ends and Monsieur Leclerc claps twice and heads out. <laughs> Horace announces that the next song is for the boys at the front. Which aren't all of the song for the boys at the front? Like, isn't that the whole Yes, but point? he may not be singing it, like, to them or for them. All right, fair enough. Anyway, they can't hear it regardless, <laughs> so I'm not sure what he's on about. Right. Uh, but he says that he needs a lady to volunteer to join him. Uh, May volunteers. She's clearly been planted uh, in the audience. Lord Loxley, very displeased by this. Right. Uh, but Florian strikes up a jaunty tune under Miss Martle's fascinated gaze. Yeah. And uh, Lady May and Horace sing It's a Long Way to Tipperary. And the audience joins in on the chorus, except, of course, for Lord Loxley. And Lady May looks happy. Yeah. For the first time since Lord Loxley came to town. Yeah. And also, Lord Loxley, if you're going to go around accusing people of being unpatriotic, don't be the only one not singing along at the patriotic concert. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Um, I have to say, too, actually, because like, I think back on this season and like how they've built it up, like they've done just a great job of like turning Lord Loxley into a fucking monster. Mm-hmm. Like... Because it starts out one way, and it's just it keeps getting worse and worse yeah. and worse. Yeah. No, this plot line has been handled quite well. Yeah. Um, and I do also like... Your move, Baron Fellows. <laughs> That's right. I also do like Martle in this scene. Like, you just get the feel... Like, as far as Martle's concerned, this whole concert is a violin solo. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Leclerc walks to Harry's office, knocks and enters, but he is gone already. Uh, out front... Harry is getting into a car and Delphine runs up to him, uh, saying, apologizing for being late to the concert, uh, and she sees Big Bill Summertime at the car. She asks Harry if he's doing something dangerous, and Harry says that it's just business, and in particular, he doesn't want Rose thinking that it's anything but business. And Delphine's like, oh, don't worry, I don't talk to Rose at all anymore. <laughs> right. It's all part of my plan to seduce you. Oh, she's like, well, I deceive her about everything now, so this would be a piece of cake. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, she promises not to breathe a word to anyone and uh, wishes Harry luck and kisses him. Like, kisses him, kisses him. Yeah. Like, not the way you'd kiss your grandma kisses him. Right. Like, like this is not a European, you know. No, both Harry and we are taken aback by this. Yeah. Harry is like, what well, I did not, uh, was I what sending What is it about kind of- me that made you think right. that that was okay? Also, Big Bill Summertime? Uh, for somebody who works in intelligence, <laughs> yeah, you just did a shitty, shitty job. Like, you're right. just lucky it was Delphine. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, well, it happened. So anyway, they head off in the summer mobile. Summer mobile, summer mobile, <laughs> summer, summer, summer mobile. That doesn't quite work. It doesn't. At all. <laughs> uh, so, uh, a long way to Tipperary ends uh they presumably arrive at tipperary yeah and i'm actually gonna throw something in here that i meant to throw in a long time ago when horace was singing to lady may in the dressing room that that singing that to me sounded like period mm. styling on his, the way he was vocalizing versus jack ross versus jack ross yeah yeah anyway just wanted to uh, get that again in. your move baron julian <laughs> yeah eyeliner and his max factor monkey are <laughs> knocking it out of the park <laughs> Baron Fellows is going to have to get his own monkey. <laughs> but what would that monkey even do? Uh, I don't know. I think 
it would have to be some sort of like neoconservative monkey who wants to go back to the days of the landed estate and like, you know, waddles around in a little top hat and yeah, a monocle. It would, be, it would be like a loyalist Irish monkey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the Empire has done so much for us. <laughs> anyway. Rose stands up and thanks Horace and their surprise soloist. Yeah. And uh, she reminds everyone that the proceeds go to supplies for the boys at the front. And this next song is for them, too. So it yeah. is possible <laughs> that, uh, you know, Horace just hasn't been doing a great job. <laughs> Monsieur Leclerc has come in and Rose goes to him and he says that Harry had already left. Monsieur Leclerc and Fat Thomas trade a weird look. And then Fat Thomas pointedly takes Agnes's hand because that's like these two need to like stop you know she is not a prize to be won <laughs> yes anyway oh god okay right horace starts singing danny boy yeah okay listen up here's what we need to talk well first of all why does this belgian know how to play danny boy i think it's a pretty popular song okay well he found out like that morning that he was doing this he's he's a pro Kelly. okay whatever <laughs> anyways okay so Danny Boy, nobody in my family really likes it because everybody says it's this Irish song, but it's actually a British song mm-hmm. that everybody thinks is Irish. This is just a weird piece of background about my weird family. Right. So you're all welcome. <laughs> um, so he's singing Danny Boy as uh, Doris is taking... Oh, real! Yeah, Doris real Doris Classic is there. Yeah. Uh, so that's exciting. Yeah. We've got Doris Classic in the yeah, house. Yeah, and she takes Gro's arm as the song starts up, and it's like, you know what? At least Doris Classic is happy. Oh, yeah. Like, she's, she's super too dumb thrilled. to not be happy. Yeah, I so. wonder if she ever figured out how he likes his tea. <laughs> uh, a man in black comes in and tells Rose that he's looking for Henri, asks Henri to come with him, and says he's suspected of spying as a bobby claps him on the shoulder. There's hubbub. Yeah. The song continues over shots of Monsieur Leclerc being led away. Right. And, and this hey, is a bit much. Well, first of all, it's a bit much. You know, props to the musicians for being pros and carrying on through this hubbub. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Rose and Agnes are looking after him with dismay as he's being carted off like a common criminal. Yeah. We laughed out loud. We did. Which is probably not <laughs> what they were going for here. Yeah. It is just so, so melodramatic. Oh my god. Like with, with Danny Boy? Yeah. So uh your move eyeliner, Baron Fellows never would do something like this. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. This was ridiculous. So Keebler is looking on from next to the bust of Harry. (laughs) I've been waiting here all night for this moment. Uh, Harry is sitting in the back of Summertime's car having feelings. Yeah, there's a couple of shots of him and he like has a completely unreadable expression on his face. Like just, it's like, what is, is he? It's Jeremy Piven's blue steel. Uh... There's a shot of Monsieur Leclerc being put into the back of the police wagon, and it's in slow motion. <laughs> slow motion. Like, listen, I don't know what the deal is. I don't actually think he's a spy. Right. I think he's chasing some pussy, and I think he's done a really bad job of, like, coping with everything. Right. But anyway, so he's getting put into the back of this. Like, I don't think anything's going to happen to him. I, You know, I have no idea. But, I think there's going to be some bullshit. I think he and Fat Thomas are going to go off to war. I think he's going to come back and Fat Thomas is not. Calling it right now. All this right. is what I think. Noted. I mean, it's called Mr. Selfridge. Right. So it has to kind of mainly be about people that continue to work there. <laughs> right. 
Indeed. Okay. So Horace just keeps singing. Yep. And then our last shot is of <laughs> Harry walking through the dimensionless steam limbo <laughs> right. that all Edwardian Englishmen have access to. I mean, it's like it's a bullshit like right. superhero movie promo shot. If you're wondering what the journey looked like for Carson as he was traveling disembodied through the world of steam, this was the shot. This is it. It's just <laughs> blackness and steam and him walking towards the camera. Oh, my God. Like, what? So, overall, a like, pretty... I imagine, I imagine Eyeliner watching the episode and getting to the end and being like, wait a minute, there's supposed to be a bunch of CGI added in the background. <laughs> this looks ridiculous. <laughs> and his Max Factor <laughs> monkey said... Listen, everybody, we just hope that you've enjoyed that Max Factor monkey as much as we have, because I don't think I've ever made Tom laugh that hard. It's possible. That was uh, great. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that is Mr. Selfridge Series 2, Episode 6. A fine episode that just fell into a bucket of caramel at the end. <laughs> Butterscotch. Butterscotch, thank you. Uh, bucket of syrup. There Listen, Tom's trying to remember various <laughs> things Pat Oswalt has said at yeah, points. About things being ridiculous as this yeah. was. So uh, we'll see what happens next. I mean, I think they've set themselves up for some interesting things. I, yeah. And I'm like, really hoping that Delphine lets go of this. Right. That's honestly the most disturbing thing to me. Like, I don't know what the heck is going on with LeClaire, but the very fact that I don't know means that they still could, like, pull out of yeah. this and it could be well, okay like, overall. Is she trying to marry him? Like, yeah. I don't get... I don't get it at all. No. Like, do you think that, do you think, uh, go ask Ellen Love what a good idea it is to seduce Harry Selfridge. Or even Miss Spender. Right. And she had perspective. Yeah, like she did fine out of it, but she didn't like, she she didn't blow it out of proportion either. Yeah. So, She was uh, just like, hey, Spender's gonna spend. And with that, <laughs> I think we'll leave you. Yeah. Uh, so until next time, up, up yours, yours downstairs, downstairs, luncheon out.